what these people do is often emotionally, physically, or financially devastating to the client. The crazy part here is that people not only trust psychics, but also swear by their authenticity even if the psychic is wrong more often than they're right. A good psychic can make you think a lot of things. They can make you think that they're saying things that they're not. They can make you think that they guided you in a direction that you guided yourself into. It really doesn't matter at all to a lot of people out there how many times someone is wrong. If you posture yourself in the right way, if you present yourself in the right way, people are going to follow you and follow you blindly. If you're legit and you have the opportunity to cash in on not just one million, but two million because you love money so much, mm. why on earth would you not? Belief is a powerful thing and people cling to it in the face of every evidence that it's wrong or even dangerous. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists, and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective. And a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get unbound. Malicious mediums, greedy grifters, predatory parlor tricksters. They've been debunked, defamed, and called out only to watch the coffers fill while they leave their victims empty of truth, emotional wholeness, and the ability to face some of life's more harsh realities. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight, we're going to be talking about a group of people that have figured out how to keep vulnerable people on the hook, sometimes for years, with messages of false hope predicated on lies, exploitation of grief, and the use of hackneyed old parlor tricks that have been proven fake over and over again. And yet... They're still out there, still fleecing the masses and leaving emotional destruction in their wake. No, I'm not talking about televangelists, but you're really not that far off. We're talking about so-called psychic mediums and those who prey on the bereaved in particular. The things these people do and get away with are disturbing at best, and we're going to give you a few examples of their work and how it holds people's emotional wellness captive in just a few. But first, hot youth pastor faces the heat, if it feels good, kill him. And the spirit of Michael Pearl is upon him to preach the good news of child abuse to the feeble-minded. It's Christians behaving badly, the hot, the hideous, and the heinous edition. <laughs> what have you got for us this week, Shell? Well, you know, there have been a lot of articles recently in the news about youth pastors getting caught having illicit relationships with underage kids. It's not just recently. It's not just recently, but it's, I mean, it's fairly thick. Oh, yeah. You know, right now. Yes. And then getting arrested for having illicit relationships with underage kids. And then going to jail for having illicit relationships with underage kids. That's bad enough. It might be a bad idea for a youth pastor to suggest that maybe these kids actually want the hot youth pastor's attention. Yeah, maybe just a slightly bad idea. I just threw up a little in my mouth at the very idea. But that's what some dumbass youth pastor working at Fairview Baptist Church in Greer, South Carolina did. Lest you think the new student pastor, Corey Wall, is a guy straight out of Bible college in his early 20s, he's actually 35. So he has no excuse. He wouldn't have an excuse regardless of how old he is. But True. I mean, come on now. At 35, you know, part of me says, and I knew youth pastors that were older and definitely decades older than this guy, but they are mm -hmm. few and far between. 
there's just something about this whole thing that tells me that if this guy is 35 and still a youth pastor, yeah, there's probably a reason for that. There probably is. One woman took to Twitter to express her concern and puzzlement. Any other moms have a teenager who go to this church in Greer? The youth pastor gave my younger sister, 14 years old, and other students this sticker during midweek last night. He is 35 years old. This made her very uncomfortable. She included a picture of said sticker. The sticker says, I heart hot youth pastors. Jesus. It sort of looks like the kind of ironic grossness that would be on a t-shirt meant for assholes to wear. Yeah. And, you know, a certain type of asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Hemet Meta on Only Sky has some questions. Is this supposed to be a joke? Number two, what kind of joke is this? Number three, who made these stickers? Number four, why would anyone order these stickers? Five, who thought it would be hilarious to give these stickers to children? And six, why are conservatives complaining about gay teachers when this is going on in their own churches? For real. Seriously. These are all good questions. Let's see if the pastor can offer any explanations that don't seem like every other explanation these guys seem to give. Good luck with that. Here is a response given from the pastor to the woman who tweeted. Last night I was made aware of your concerns involving the sticker being distributed to your sister at midweek. Let me assure you that my intentions were pure and the last thing I wanted to do was make you, your sister, or anyone else in attendance feel uncomfortable. Either he's a liar or he's abjectly stupid. One of the two. Could be both. Yeah, could be both. We're updating our church-wide database and I encouraged kids to come see me to get a sticker and update their information. The sticker was meant to poke fun at the I love hot mom culture. In hindsight, this joke was a very poor taste and a mistake on my part. One of our top goals with Fairview students is to create a safe space for students. Last night we fell short. Please accept my apologies. I'm not sure an apology is enough here. And you know what? I knew the origin of that. As soon as you showed me the picture of that sticker, I knew what the origin was. You. And the origin isn't really that much better. No, it really isn't. No, it really is not. Does this reassure you? It certainly wouldn't reassure me. It just created more doubts that this guy is suited to have supervision over kids. And here's a further statement from the leadership of the church. We see and hear your concerns and affirm the matter has been taken seriously. I cannot comment on our accountability actions with Corey because it is a personnel issue that cannot be discussed publicly. I will confirm the leadership and Corey understand the severity of the incident and have addressed it with him. He is meeting with his leaders to discuss the mistake he made and that it was in very poor taste. I will confirm that this has been dealt with as a serious matter in a response with Corey according to our personnel manual guidelines. In other words, he's not going to do Jack you shit. Of course He's going to sit him down and say, dude... What were you thinking? Okay, don't do that anymore. Yeah, right. And that's going to be the end of it. And he goes on further. Corey's mentioning having a porn addiction was about a time when he was a high schooler and young adult. We were aware of this in his testimony when we interviewed him. When he mentioned this to the students was during the summer, and it was brought to our attention. 
We met with Corey, and he understands that this should not have been shared with the students until he made parents aware of the topic beforehand and explained the context of why he would share this from his testimony. This was discussed, and our leadership handled this according to our personnel manual guidelines. He likes that phrase. He really does like that phrase. It sounds very official. Oh, yeah. It also sounds like he's doing something. Yeah. You know what? Still not reassured. Yeah, me neither. Why, oh, why is this guy discussing his porn addiction with kids? And why, if this guy has a porn addiction, why is he handing out a sticker referencing hot youth pastors when it's based on a slogan involving hot moms? The I Love Hot Moms shirts, which can be found online, aren't a culture so much as pathetic frat boy humor. But as far as I can tell, it's not like these youth pastor stickers are available online. Yeah, here's hoping, but you know what? They're not. I checked. Okay, but you know what? I'll bet you any amount of money they will be eventually because that's the internet. Yeah, and stuff goes viral and you can't unring the bell. True. Yeah, once it's out there, it's just out there. Yeah. They do have I'm the Psychotic Youth Pastor Your Parents Warned You About t-shirts on Amazon, which is disturbing, but also it's not being distributed by a church. These stickers had to be custom ordered. At no part in the process did they consider how they might have come across. And the fact that this church is part of the Southern Baptist Convention, Ouch. who the Department of Justice is now investigating for sexual abuse allegations, really, really doesn't help. It really does not. But just one point here that I wanted to make. You know, you'd be amazed at how many youth pastors, youth leaders, Bible camp counselors will make these kinds of confessions because it makes them seem more relatable Mm -hmm. and it makes them seem more human to the people that they're quote unquote ministering to. But in my experience, all it has ever accomplished when someone in authority starts talking about their own quote unquote struggles with things like their own sexuality, pornography, or anything else, All it accomplishes is opening the floor to more and more and more questions that get more and more uncomfortable Mm -hmm. as things progress. And that leads to the revelation of even more uncomfortable truths. I've seen this happen where a youth pastor or a youth leader will share something like this about themselves and it opens up such a can of worms Mm -hmm. because now they got diarrhea of the mouth and they're just laying everything about themselves out on the table. And there are certain things that I just feel like need to be kept to yourself, especially if you're a youth pastor and you're trying to convince the kids in your youth group not to engage in these behaviors. This was the thing that I always resented was that almost everyone who told me that I shouldn't be doing X, Y, or Z had a history of it. Yeah. They all did it. And that As far as I'm concerned, if I'm going to think about this with an evangelical mindset, that really doesn't go far toward stopping the quote unquote problem Mm. that they're trying to address. And that I'm just saying, as someone who's (laughs) been on the inside, as someone who has had the role of the youth pastor, this benefits no one. No. These are, there are things that you need to keep to yourself. And apparently this guy's senior pastor agrees, at least publicly he agrees. Right. But I still don't think that any kind of significant retribution is ever going to befall this guy for this. 
it's going to be swept directly under the rug and forgotten about. And within just a little bit of time, it's literally going to be forgotten about. Oh, yeah. Oh, this next one's a killer. <laughs> literally. Yeah. Mm. In further what-the-fuck-were-you-thinking news, Mike Winger, a Christian preacher who runs a giant online ministry, recently said believers should listen to the voices in their heads if they believe God is telling them to kill someone. Can't he be prosecuted for this? He should be. I mean, you've got to be kidding. These people literally, literally get away with murder. I know. They, they can literally get away with murder. Because if someone goes out and actually acts on this advice, guess what, asshole? You're an accessory now. Yeah. You fucking told them to do it. Mm-hmm. So think about that. If they could chase Happy Harry Hart on around town <laughs> and arrest him and put him in jail for simply not telling a kid not to kill himself, well, what exactly should happen to this asshole? Yeah, I, right. You know, the, this one kind of infuriates me just, just a little bit. Oh, yeah. On his YouTube show recently, Winger was asked by a viewer what he thought about murderers who say God made them do it. Instead of dismissing all those killers as kooks because God doesn't actually speak to them, Winger took the opposite approach, saying it was always wise to listen to God. Oh, you gotta be kidding. And then included a caveat saying God probably wouldn't ask you to kill anyone, as if that makes everything better. Probably. Yeah. I like the word probably there. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> probably wouldn't ask you to kill anyone. But if he did, then what? Well, <laughs> he stops short of actually saying it. But the whole part of you should listen to the voices in your head, I don't know. I, I feel like that crosses a line, and then he backtracks a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, but not by much. No. That's the really scary part. Not by much. Well, I'll tell you, it certainly made me feel better because Christians don't kill their kids or strangers or anyone else, right? Or their kids that have demons, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. To him, God told me to is a perfectly adequate reason. If God really told them to do it, right? How exactly are you going to tell whether this guy is completely delusional or the angel of death, so to speak? Well... I don't have to. That's up to a jury. Yeah. And any jury with even marginally sane people on it Gee. are going to see it for what it is. So. Yeah. All this guy says is that if God really told them to do it, they're right. Here's an excerpt of his talk. But if God himself actually tells you and he's like, hey, I am the ultimate governor of all life and I have judicially said that this person is going to die... And I'm telling you to do it. Yeah. Now, historically, as a Christian, do I expect this to happen? Not really. Not really. Not that there could never be an exception. But if anyone comes up to me and says, God told me to kill so-and-so, my default is to think they're probably wrong. Because there's a lot more weirdos out there than there are people that God is telling to do something like that. So if it was someone that he didn't regard as a weirdo, would he tell him to do it? I don't know. So, yeah, go ahead and kill someone if God tells you to. But if you're actively having realistic auditory hallucinations, you probably shouldn't. How are we to tell the difference? Of course, this guy never actually tells us. 
I just get the distinct impression that at some point this guy figured out what he was actually saying. Mm -hmm. And he had to backtrack just a little (laughs) bit. Just a little. There was a little bit of backtracking there, but certainly not an adequate degree of backtracking as far as I'm concerned. He still leaves the door wide open for such a thing to be legit. Yeah. And that's very scary. And lastly, anyone who puts himself forward as a good Christian parent is probably not. Matt Kennedy, rector of the Church of the Good Shepherd, an Anglican church in New York and father of six, recently revealed his best child-rearing advice in a Twitter thread. Ah, yes, Twitter, the fount of all knowledge. Christians get themselves in trouble so often here. This guy manages his success by the fact that none of them are in jail. That's the measure of your success. Okay. Oh, and they're all believing and generally pleasant to be around. Wow, they sound awesome. Oh, yeah. He says he has four rules that must be obeyed. Number one, immediate obedience. Don't pause. Don't object. After this rule, he says, you really don't need very many. Number two, to speak, answer to, and look at their mother with absolute honor, respect, and deference. He makes the point that they did this when he was present, But even if he isn't, if you've said something disrespectful to her, you've said it to me. Three, no lying. To fail to keep this rule is to condemn your child to a life of misery, he said. And number four, at the table, you eat whatever is put in front of you cheerfully and with no complaining or negative talk. Always be grateful. In summary, he demands obedience, forces them to show respect to their mother at all times, forbids lying, and requires them to say they love their meals. Failure to do any of these things will result in some kind of physical abuse, corporal punishment, followed by a hug. So he's kind of Michael Pearl light. Yeah. He's kind of like a sanitized version of Michael Pearl. Well. Slightly sanitized. Publicly, anyway. Yeah. The first problem to note here is that even he admits none of this is foolproof your child can still end up taking the wrong path. That alone should nullify everything he said earlier. But keep in mind that parents who don't have these rules raise perfectly fine kids too. Of course, as any kid who's grown up with these sorts of authoritarian roles can tell you, these kids aren't perfectly fine. Twitter erupted with a chorus of ex-children who can speak from experience. Army of Winds says, My childhood wasn't this strict, and I still ended up a manipulative bitch because I learned early on how to lie, hide things, and provide leading answers. All because I knew my parents weren't interested in the how or the why, only my behavior. Your kids hate you. Red Vasky adds, I love it when parents publicly admit to not caring about their kids being their own beings, but little servants in their fucking cult. Yeah, true that. And finally, B. Warsowitz says, I love that three of these rules are just psychopathic child abuse, but they made an extra one to make sure their kids get an eating disorder. Of course, some conservative Christians have defended these rules, saying, I was raised like this and I turned out just fine. But you know, they didn't turn out just fine. They grew up thinking this was okay. And also, of course, Kennedy has responded to this criticism by blaming woke Twitter. So there's that. Man, they're they're stuck on this word, aren't they? Yeah. They're really, really stuck oh, on yeah. this word woke. 
it's amazing what just a little, little spark of logic can do to blow this whole thing up. Because these couple of tweets, these people understand what's what. Oh, yeah. And it gives me hope that there are enough people out there providing this level of counterpoint because it's necessary. It's oh, yeah. very, very necessary for these people to not have their opinions put out there and just have them out there right. without criticism, without being subject to uh, to any semblance of counterpoint. And I think that uh, these just these couple of comments mm-hmm. make the point very clear that these are not good things. No. And they're not a recipe for your kids still being in your life when they're 30. Oh, yeah. So, you know, maybe you should rethink some of this just a little bit. I mean, it's not Michael Pearl, but it treads close. Oh, yeah. And there was a comment saying, when your kids are in their 30s, they're not going to talk to you anymore. Oh, yeah. I have no doubt. You know, that's going to be true of at least some of them and not even just in this family. Anyone who takes this advice and already has these things going on as part of their day to day. And I had friends who had this going on as part of their day to day. I knew families that were structured like this. And all I can tell you is that they did not. They did not raise well-adjusted people. All they accomplished was perpetuating this toxic parenting paradigm to another generation, and it will be passed down to another and another and another, unless people who think like this run as much interference as they can on it. And that's why we're here, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, it is. That's why we exist. That's why this show is here. And that's a perfect segue into letting you know that our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash network. Any amount of money that you can help us with is going to help us help more people get and stay unbound. And if that is a priority for you, then please consider supporting us in that way. Patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. Now, if you're a little strapped for cash, we get that too. And like we say every week, likes, shares, five-star ratings, good reviews, telling people about the show. These are the things that make podcasts grow. And if you want us to be in front of more people then put us in front of more people. These are the ways that you do it. And I just want to say thank you again for coming back week after week, month after month, episode after episode, just to hear what we have to say next. Share it out. Talk about it. Do what you need to do to let people who need to hear this messaging know that it's out there for them. Next week is going to be part two of this discussion that we're having tonight. Tonight we're talking about psychics. Next week, it's going to be all about storefront divination, why your future isn't in the cards. And we're going to talk about all these different methods that parlor mediums and psychics use to convince you that they know things that they couldn't possibly know. Well, there are reasons why they know them. And we're going to get into some of it tonight, and then we're going to carry that over into next week and apply it to these specific areas of divination, the things that really draw people in off the streets, quite literally. I mean, I've been to Salem in October. <laughs> I've seen the lines outside of Crowhaven Corner. I've seen the the sign-up sheets where you can sign up to come back for a reading in like five or six hours because that's how busy they are. So we're going to take a deep dive into that part of it next week. Two weeks from now, it's the Satan Sellers Hall of Fame. We're going to be talking about some of the more toxic personalities out there, some of whom were instrumental in fueling the satanic panic in the 80s. People like Mike Warnke, Bob Larson, the Peters brothers, 
last year I kind of teased on this and said, you know, I'd love to do an episode on Mike Warnke, but last podcast on the left beat me to it. I'm going to um, give them a shout out again and tell you, listen to that series. I think it was only two episodes. Yeah, it was only two episodes. But you really get a lot of the meat of what this guy was about. And we're going to be basing a lot of our comments off of one source from what was my favorite Christian publication back in the day that did a huge expose on him. And that was a little magazine called Cornerstone. Unfortunately, we've learned things about the organization where it originates since that kind of make it a little bit more lackluster in my own mind. And that's putting it very, very mildly. Mm -hmm. But they were right about this. And they were right about how they went about it. And we're going to be talking a little bit about Mike. I actually have a lot to say about Bob Larson because I had to endure him (laughs) when I was at work, working at the Christian radio station that I eventually got fired from for asking someone to call back in the morning. And uh, no, no lie. I should tell that story sometime. I think I actually did. I think think I actually did at some point in the episode that we did about childlike faith. I'm pretty sure that we talked about that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But I'm rambling on and I want to make sure that we get into our main topic. So... Last Sunday of Unbound October, Halloween Eve, we're dropping our review of the Amityville Horror, and we're going to do it in just a slightly different format than we normally do the movie episodes. We're going to look at things that were in the movie, how they differ from the book, and how it was all bullshit anyway. Yeah. We're going to expose the man behind the curtain with this one, because this movie freaked a lot of people out. It was one of the pivotal things that spawned on the satanic panic. And it was complete bullshit. And we're going to talk more about that on Halloween Eve. For right now, let's get into week one of our discussion on mediumship and talk about these psychics that prey on the bereaved. You know, people look to psychics for answers to questions on a broad range of subjects. And some of the more popular ones out there include things like love, when will I meet my soulmate? Health, when will my cancer go into remission? Finance, where should I be investing? What stocks are going to move significantly this week? I even saw one article that was about stock market investors and how they make a killing using psychics. Um, I don't doubt that they do. I just doubt that the reasons why are clear in their heads. Yeah. Because a good psychic can make you think a lot of things. They can make you think that they're saying things that they're not. They can make you think that they guided you in a direction that you guided yourself into. This is what they do. This is how they make their money. But for the purposes of this conversation, I definitely want to put the crosshairs on the ones that prey on people who are bereaved, who have lost loved ones, who have loved ones who are missing that sort of thing. These people are the real predators as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And I mean, this whole thing goes way, way, way back. I mean, uh, even further back than when Dorothy stopped in on the wizard for a little bit of advice at the beginning of the wizard of Oz. And I absolutely love this movie. We're going to do the wizard of Oz eventually, because I think that there's messaging in that movie that people don't realize is there. Yeah. And what the wizard does in the beginning, not at the end, but at the very beginning to get her to go home was genius, but it's no different than what the rest of them do. It's just that this guy had good intent and most of them do not. Yeah. We're going to jump ahead about five decades now. I remember back in the 80s, things like Dionne Warwick's Psychic Friends Network. Yeah. And what Gen Xer could forget about Miss Cleo, even if we tried. 
Back then, people were blowing entire social security checks calling 1-900 numbers to talk with a real psychic now. For the bargain price of $4.99 for the first minute, $0.69 cents each additional minute, a 30-minute call averaged about $25, and that was in 1980s and 1990s dollars. It wasn't cheap, oh, no. and it still isn't. And just like ghost hunting, psychic mediums are a big draw for cable TV audiences. Here are just a few of the more popular shows out there. I mean, let's talk about the Long Island Medium. We're going to talk about her a little bit more later. I'm actually not going to even steal my own thunder with this one. The Long Island Medium, Teresa Caputo, is one of the biggest charlatans, shams, and any other of those kinds of adjectives that you want to throw at her. We've got the Hollywood Medium with Tyler Henry. Hollywood Medium chronicles the readings of clairvoyant medium Tyler Henry Colwyn, who discovered his intuitive gifts at age 10, or so he says. <laughs> oh, this one pisses me off. You know, I, I saw this one and I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. These people just need a Lyft, an Uber ride, or whatever the fuck it is. And now they're a captive audience to this asshole. This is a show from the Lifetime Network called The Seatbelt Psychic. Me. And it follows on the heels of shows like Cash Cab and Carpool Karaoke. This tool named Thomas John picks up strangers and relays messages from their departed loved ones. His goal is to touch the lives of as many people as possible, trusting he'll cross paths with the people he's meant to meet. Okay. Wow. Whatever. I read that and the very first thing that I thought of was Carla on Cheers oh, God. calling Madame Lazora. Oh, yeah. And what's the first thing that Madame Lazora says? I knew who you were going to call. Of yes, course you of did. of course you did. Of course you did. Psychic kids, children of the paranormal. Um, God. Yeah, this, this was an A&E show. It was on for three seasons between 2008 and 2010. And for reasons unknown, it got a reboot in 2019. You see, when, when I saw that, it's like it just makes it all that more clear that this is something that is out there and staying there. There's no season for this. It's always been a popular thing from way before Dorothy stepped into that parlor. Oh, yeah. And the momentum of it, even with an asinine premise like this, it's really difficult to stop. And just the little bit of the description of this show, it says children tend to have a stronger connection to the other side. Who decided this? Hence, imaginary friends and seeing things in the closet adults can't. Um, that just means that they have overactive imaginations. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they're seeing anything. But it's a psychic kids, children of the paranormal, explores the unique abilities of children with reported psychic ability and connects them with adult psychic mediums to help cultivate their gifts. Oh, that'll help. Oh, that's not going to be good. I don't even want to think about the ramifications of any such thing. Oh, brace yourselves, people. There's a show out there called Pet Psychic. Yep. You've heard of this. For me, it was a I was today years old sort of thing <laughs> when I learned that this was actually something that was out there. It was a while ago. It yeah. started in 2002, ran until 2004, and it was on Animal Planet. Yes. It says what was unique about this show is that the psychic in question is not only communicating with deceased pets. Oh. oh, as the dad of a recently deceased pet, this kind of pisses me off. But also speaking with living animals to help them with emotional. <laughs> okay, now I got I got to start that again. But also speaking with living animals to help them with emotional trauma and behavioral problems. Because 
everybody knows that a psychic, a human being and a psychic are the perfect combination of things to help your pet deal with emotional trauma and behavioral problems. I'm not saying they don't have them. I'm just saying that it's kind of a stretch to say that it takes a psychic (laughs) to get inside the head of your pet, Mm. you know? I think I caught a segment of it once and the woman is petting a dog and saying, you know, she just wishes that you wouldn't get so angry at her or something like that to the owner. And it's just like, how? Why? Because the owner probably yelled at the dog while she was there and just decided that um, that this was the dog's life, that the dog was constantly being yelled at and that this person needed to be nicer to her pet. We're going to get into the nitty gritty of those kinds of details and how they piece them together a little bit later. Oh, God, Rescue Medium is the next one, okay? Rescue Medium showcases international psychics Jackie Dennison and Christine Hamlet in seasons one through three and Allison Wynn Ryder in seasons four through seven as they help to guide lost spirits to the next realm. All of this comes from a website called top10.com and it's going to be in the show notes just in case you want to read the rest of these, but I think I've had enough. Actually, now that I said that, we've got The Ghost Whisperer, which I do remember. It was um, it was a, a series that was hosted by Jennifer Love Hewitt. And then the series Medium with uh, Patricia Arquette, which I do remember watching a few episodes of back in the day. Liked it, sort of, but it was one of those that I just never really got into. It just seemed like it got very repetitive after a couple of episodes, and and I just sort of put it down. But these are the things that are out there. Most of them are reality TV, but those last two in particular are examples of fiction, drama, things that they glean from quote-unquote real life and the people that actually practice this stuff. But there's more. There's plenty more, and you can uh, you can read the list if you want to. I've kind of had enough of that for right now. But the crazy part here is that people not only trust psychics, but also swear by their authenticity even if the psychic is wrong more often than they're right. But here's the thing. If they're right about that stock, that covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Crazy how many people would agree with that, and especially those who benefit from the quote-unquote advice that they get from psychics about something like that. And I look at the way these people operate, the things that they do, and I think, so what these people do is often emotionally, physically, or financially devastating to the client because they are wrong more often than they're right. But that doesn't seem to matter to a lot of people. That's Mm -hmm. the crazy part. Just like these wigged out evangelical prophets who are never right, but still have a following. It's the same mindset that draws people back to psychics. In a lot of people's minds, it doesn't even matter if they're wrong. If they say they're a psychic, they're a psychic. If they say they're a prophet, they're a prophet. And that's just that. And the sheep just follow blindly. And again, I want to zero in on the ones who specifically target the bereaved and those searching for lost loved ones. These are by far the biggest demographics upon which people like this set their crosshairs. The most prevalent examples include people like Teresa Caputo, aka the Long Island Medium, who by her own description, quote, talks to dead people. Then there's John Edward, famous for his show Crossing Over. And We're going to talk about these two for just a minute here. Teresa Caputo isn't often spoken of in the most flattering of terms, and even people who believe in ghosts don't think she can talk to the dead. 
This next little excerpt comes directly from the Wikipedia entry about her. It says, in April 2012, the James Randi Educational Foundation, and that is uh, the amazing Randi, for those who don't know, a bona fide mentalist who understands bullshit when he sees it. And you know what? A lot of mentalists have a lot of criticisms against psychics. Mm. And uh, James Randi actually took it a bunch of steps further. For starters, the foundation awarded uh, the Long Island Medium its Pegasus Award. That's Pegasus, not Pegasus. A tongue-in-cheek award that seeks to expose parapsychological, paranormal, or psychic frauds. The James Randi Education Foundation has been critical of Caputo's work, and that's putting it lightly. Mm. A newspaper review of Caputo's performances at the New York City Ballet Theater at Westbury in late 2017 concluded, quote, For me, this unbelievable experience was simply that, not to be believed. In my humble opinion, Caputo is a damn good performer, and she's got undeniably likable sass and charisma. I just don't think she speaks with the dead. Or she didn't the night that I saw her. But my father probably could have told you that. And that was uh, a quote from the author of that review, Jamie Franchi, in a review from December of 2014. Paranormal investigator Massimo Polidoro calls Caputo a performer and reports on an investigation done by Inside Edition and mentalist Mark Edward, who attended one of her live shows in 2012. In 2013, illusionist Chris Angel offered Caputo a million dollars to prove her claims. That's two million on the table, because the James Randi Educational Foundation had the same challenge up for years. Oh, yeah. It's not there anymore. But, I mean, if you're legit and you have the opportunity to cash in on not just one million but two million because you love money so much. Mm. Why on earth would you not? And the answer to that question is the same as how come psychics don't win the lottery? Mm. Because they're full of shit. And that's what it boils down to. I'm pleased to say that Chris Angel's money remains safe to this day. And in case I have to make it any clearer, she never got any money from James Randi either. And as for John Edward, his show ran on the Sci-Fi Channel, the Sci-Fi Channel channel what more do we need to say about this but he also did the talk show circuit and absolutely preyed on family members of people killed on 9-11 i mean you want to talk about just tasteless and out of order and completely inappropriate this guy literally preyed upon people who lost people on 9-11 he had another less popular show called john edward cross country that aired on we tv Yeah, I don't know either. The show died in 2008, and so far, John has not been able to contact it. He also scoffed at Randy's challenge with this witty response. He said, why would I allow myself to be tested by someone who's got an adjective as a first name? Um, He doesn't. And why don't you know that? Hmm. You know, it amazes me, and I've I've known this for a while. This, This was not something that I uncovered in my research, but... It amazes me that there are psychics that are invited to participate in criminal investigations and can give people post-traumatic stress with the awful things that they do and say. Let's talk about a woman named Amanda Berry. Now, you know, this goes back a little bit now, but not by that much. I think that there are people out there right now that are thinking, yeah, it's kind of ringing a bell. Well, I'm going to bang a gong on it right now for you. Amanda Berry had been missing for years. Her mother went to a screening of the Montel Williams show 
with the express purpose of talking to a psychic by the name of Sylvia Brown, whom she hoped would be able to help her locate her daughter. Amanda was one victim of the Ariel Castro kidnappings between 2002 and 2004. And for anyone who doesn't remember what this was all about, between 2002 and 2004, Ariel Castro kidnapped Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry, and Georgina DeJesus from the streets of Cleveland, Ohio. All three girls were imprisoned at Castro's home until May of 2013 when Barry successfully escaped with her six-year-old daughter to whom she had given birth while imprisoned and contacted the police. Police rescued Knight and DeJesus and arrested Castro hours later. Castro was charged with four counts of kidnapping and three counts of rape. He pleaded guilty to 937 criminal counts of rape. Was he keeping track? Jesus fucking Christ. Mm. And also kidnapping and aggravated murder as part of a plea bargain. He was sentenced to life imprisonment plus a thousand years in prison without the possibility of parole. That was the bargain. Yeah. One month into his life sentence, Castro committed suicide by hanging himself with bed sheets in his prison cell. And while I am not the type to rejoice in other people's deaths, I think this universe is a better place without this guy. Yeah. And that all came from the Wikipedia about the kidnappings. These women spent a decade in captivity. Amanda Berry escaped in 2013. The episode of Montel aired in 2004. And this is what Sylvia Brown told Amanda Berry's mother. She's not alive, honey. Your daughter's not the kind who wouldn't call. Amanda would not escape her captor for another nine years. And her mother, Luana Miller, died in 2006, believing her daughter was dead. And if that wasn't bad enough, a year earlier, this bitch did the same thing to someone else. Mm. According to ABC News, in 2003, Brown incorrectly told the parents of missing teen Sean Hornbeck that their son was dead and his body could be found somewhere near, quote, two jagged boulders, according to her premonition. Nearly four years later, surprise, surprise, Hornbeck was found alive and Brown was widely criticized in the media for causing the Hornbeck's additional grief. And yet, Montel Williams has her on his show like a year later. Yeah. What were his producers thinking? Did they vet this person like at all? And it did create problems for him. He went full mea culpa just a couple of years ago. Well, a couple of years ago. And when you're 51, you think of 2013 as a couple of years ago. (laughs) But um, I think that it was in 2014 that he got on his Twitter or Facebook or wherever. It was on social media. And kind of penned this long-winded mea culpa about the whole thing. But it, the whole thing could have been avoided by simply vetting her in the first place. Yeah. But here's the thing. Like I said earlier, it doesn't matter how often some of these people are wrong. It really doesn't matter at all to a lot of people out there how many times someone is wrong. If you posture yourself in the right way, if you present yourself in the right way, people are going to follow you and follow you blindly. And this person, she's done a lot of damage. She was wrong so often and caused so much chaos that all of her tomfoolery basically sparked a website that went up in 2006 with the intent of stopping her. It was called StopSylvia.com, but it's not there anymore. The URL is actually up for sale, but apparently for a while there, it was nothing but stories of how this woman defrauded people and told them some of the most horrific things about their loved ones that proved later to not be true. I feel like she must have gotten off on inducing grief. That's the only thing I can think of here because that's all she does. 
probably to this day. I don't think she even thinks that she's a psychic. I think she just figured out a way to give this very dark corner of her psyche the attention that it craves, and it just worked. Mm. But that's just the thing. Mediums prey on the vulnerable. They take money and give false hope, particularly when they claim to talk to the dead. As a result, many people cannot let go of their loved ones and move on with their lives. People can become addicted to the process, costing them time and money. That's a quote from a blogger named uh, Leon McFadden. And yes, plenty of people do become addicted to it. In 2022, when we're all really supposed to know better, but we love our little mysticisms a little bit too much to actually get around to knowing better. And that's the problem. What's even better is when they come to you. And this has been a thing for a very long time. Before the days of the internet, psychics who wanted to prey on people's grief or the need to know the whereabouts of a lost loved one would do things like read obituaries and news stories about missing persons and then contact the families, telling them that they had information about someone's whereabouts or that a lost loved one had a message for them from beyond. They still do this, but they have far more and better resources to draw from now, and they can get in touch with people faster through things like email and social media. So how do they do it? Well, they use some or all of these methods. First, they make vague claims that apply to a broad audience. This is the most prevalent opener for psychics who work in large groups. I saw one video about John Edward and how he did a show once in a part of Long Island where one out of five people were of Irish descent. He proceeded to tell the crowd that someone was coming through and started just firing off common, almost stereotypical Irish surnames that were supposed to resonate with someone in the audience, okay? And uh, he traveled quickly between Fitzpatrick and O'Toole. I mean, it's not, he didn't even try to get the names close, you know? Right. He was just firing off these names. And my favorite part, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I think that this was, you know, a little bit um, ethnically insensitive. He's mm. like, I think it's one of those O names, O'Brien, O'Malley. Oh my, I say. And sometimes he'll go out on a limb and address someone directly. And when he fails in his prediction, he says things like, okay, then the person they want to reach is probably behind you and then waits for someone to respond. I swear, I was watching this and all I could think of was Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost cycling through common names of Hispanic women until the client jumped on Maria. Yes, Maria, Maria, his mama, she's Maria. I remember that part really well. And the thing about that is that that was a popular movie. Lots of people saw it. And sitting in the theater, it's clear that she's a fraud. But I promise you that there were people sitting in that theater understanding that Whoopi was a fraud and eventually found themselves sitting in a studio with John Edwards spewing Irish names and buying it hook, line, and sinker. I really don't get it. You know, how the context of it plays such a big role in how people perceive it. Because it was made abundantly crystal clear in that movie that she was a fraud and people just accepted it. But when you're sitting there in a room with a quote unquote real psychic, all of a sudden when they do the exact same thing, it's somehow legit. Next, they admit that their details might be fuzzy. What this accomplishes is getting the client to fill in the cracks with more significant details. And when someone wants to contact a dead loved one, they will sit there trying, trying to pull personal meaning from what the psychic is saying. So it's really, really easy 
for the psychic to get people to agree with things because they want these things to be true. They want to talk to their lost loved ones and all manner of logic can fly right out of their head when they're faced with the possibility of being able to reunite with someone who's passed. Another thing they do is make absolute claims like everything I say will be true for someone in this room. And what this accomplishes is quite simple. Let's say a psychic gives some vague detail that someone latches onto. Now, here's the thing. There's somebody almost always sitting there thinking to themselves, well, if everything they say is true for someone, what if I don't speak up and that message was for me? Eventually, someone is going to cave and get that psychic's attention. From there, they go back to step two and get to work. They start talking about how the details might be a little fuzzy, and I might need your help with this a little bit to really get this message right. And no one thinks anything of it. Mm. It's just amazing to me. I've watched, I sit there and I watch grown-up, at least reasonably intelligent people that are literally just completely buying this shit hook, line, and sinker. And it absolutely dumbfounds me how a grown-up can get caught up in this. But here's the thing. Lots and lots and lots and lots of grown-ups do. And that's why it's such a huge industry, and that is what it is. It is, in fact, an industry. Another thing they do is that they give details that they can backtrack on later. You see, the more vague the details are, the easier it is to shift them just a little when they need to. And it comes across like this. You know, the psychic will say something like, so it wasn't a blue car that dad was in. I, I, I'm still seeing blue. Were the seats blue? Did he like to wear a lot of blue? Was he wearing blue the last time you saw him? Because blue is coming through really, really clearly now. Dad wants you to think about something blue that's associated with him. Then the client says something like, well, his house was blue when he bought it, but he hated the color, so he painted it white so it would fit better with the rest of the block. And of course, now the house that was once blue is at the center of the conversation. Did anything unusual happen in that house? No, because he wants you to think about that house. I don't know why, but there's something about it. And you know what? You can keep the conversation going all day this way. And eventually you're going to hit pay dirt. Eventually something is going to click with that other person. And then, bam, you've got them. That's how they do it. Another thing they do is they count on you not having a poker face. Mediums are always analyzing people's reactions to the things that they say. If something gives the client a start, they are going to descend on it. I'm still trying to figure out what blue is about. You can't think of anything about dad that might be important that involves blue. Places, objects, pets. Now, let's say the word pets gives them a start. Ooh, they're remembering something. Let's get them to tell us what. And then it goes off on another tangent. I'm really starting to think that this has to do with a pet now. Not a lot of blue pets out there. So was it a dog with a blue collar, a cat? And then the client just all of a sudden has an epiphany. Yes, oh my God, I completely forgot until just now. But he had a cat named Blue. And she kind of was. And here we go. Now we're going to center our attention on the cat and we're going to just take it from there. You see how we went from the color blue to his house, to his cat, <laughs> and that's what they do. They run interference on their own narrative because they know that the more baseless details they put out there, the harder it's going to be for that person to remember where the conversation was going in the first place. So that's what they do. They try and confuse and they try to run interference on their own mistakes. And one thing that these people know 
is that the broader the generality, the more likely it's going to resonate with someone. So the psychic takes the blue thing as far as he can and then goes back to square one to try and harvest more details until he hits on something that really, really resonates with that person. And if he can't pull anything out of that person after a few minutes, he's just going to move on. He's going to say, maybe this message isn't for you. Is there anyone else in the room that is thinking, oh my God, this must be about me. And they'll get them to tell them. They'll get people to just tell them, yeah, I think this is about me. Okay, now we're back to square one, batter up. And we're going to start with the details again. And we're going to move into as many different realms and places as we need to, to get you to agree that it's your dad I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. They're also reading the room constantly. They're looking for people who are doing things like craning their necks, attempting to make eye contact with them, leaning over or sitting on the edge of their seat, because all of these body cues communicate that these people believe what they're hearing and want to participate in the conversation. And these people want people who want to participate in the conversation. Now, all of those examples that I just gave you, those are the ones that actually want to work for it. These kind of interactions are called cold readings. The so-called psychic goes in a blank slate and employs all of the above to get details right as they go. The ones who don't want to work at it take a slightly different route. Let's talk about hot readings for a minute. You see, unlike a cold reading, you can't do a hot reading in a large group of people unless you've profiled several of your guests ahead of time. And you know what? Plenty of them do this too. Or they'll invite plants. In either event, they proceed from information that they already know. Well, how do they get it? Honestly, there are so many ways that these kinds of tricksters have been doing it long before the days of the internet. I think I mentioned a couple of them earlier where they go through obituaries. They have other more traditional routes that they go. It's just that the internet has made it easier. It's way, way easier now with sites like Instant Checkmate and a swarm of others like it, where for a nominal fee, you can look up insane amounts of information about people, places they've lived, life events like divorces and bankruptcies, how many kids they have, whether they've been in trouble with the law, their kids' ages, names of family members, what everybody does for a living. You know, it's scary to think about, but it's all out there. And it's all searchable when you have the right resources. That's the really scary part about this. And not just in the realm of a conversation about psychics. But getting back to that conversation, they do all of that. They do all of their research ahead of time. And when it comes time for your appointment or when you're the target in that studio audience or whatever it is, they already have enough information about you to make you think that they know way more about you than they actually do. Once they have their hooks in you, now it's time to implement all of the other tactics we just went over so that you will give them even more information. There's something about it that would be inspiring if it wasn't so shitty. Yeah. You know, this takes skill. I will give them that. It takes skill, but it should be helping people, not just emptying their wallets and instilling them with false hopes. That's where this takes a really, really dark turn. And I feel like there's got to be more constructive uses for skills like this. I feel like there are positive ways that these types of skills can be used, but that's not the way that it is in this particular arena. So why do people still trust mediums and psychics? McFadden says that we've advanced 
medically and scientifically beyond our wildest dreams, and yet we still flock to see a lunatic or fraud stand on stage and pretend to talk to our loved ones. We get, we get articles talking about mediums as pop stars. Why? The problem stems from people not wanting to confront their mortality. They want to hold on to their loved ones and cling to life, burying their head in the sand and refusing to acknowledge that one day they too will die. And to me, this is reason number one why the psychic medium industry continues to thrive. These people purport to offer the bereaved something they can't find on their own. And that one critical thing is hope. Psychics prey on the bereaved by giving them false hope that their loved one isn't really gone. And whether the client believes it or not, and you'd be surprised how many do not, they're willing to keep throwing money at these charlatans because what they're being told makes them feel good. And when you're in the throes of grief, if you have to attempt to buy happiness in some people's minds, so be it. McFadden also says that it's a mixture of fear and grief that keeps psychic mediums in business. He says until we develop a healthier way to confront our mortality and grieve for our lost loved ones, we will forever be dependent on people manipulating us. And it's the same thing when it comes to our own mortality. This is why the gospel still spreads. This is precisely why that messaging is still out there, for all of the same reasons. And let's understand something else crucial to the message of this show about this particular subject. Evangelicals believe in psychic ability and use it to exploit people in the same basic ways that psychic mediums do. I mean, anyone who has been in particularly an evangelical Pentecostal church setting, you don't have to be in an arena with a yehu like Benny Hinn. I've seen this happen in my own church where just even our own pastor or whoever the guest speaker is, or whoever the person in authority is, whoever the guy running the camp that week is, they do this kind of thing all the time. I worked with one pastor who literally wanted to plan out a divine healing service and do this sort of thing. The one in New Jersey, Ugh. way, way back when. And I was a little bit put off by the idea of staging a divine healing service and you know, this guy was sincere. He, was, he wasn't the type that was just going to do this to fill the offering plates. But, you know, he was so addled by the Kool-Aid. He said, you know, I'm just being obedient here. I feel like God is calling me to do this. And if he's calling me to do this, then he's going to be the one at the center of it. I don't have to put on a show. He's going to take care of everything. He's going to take care of these people. And I don't know of anyone who got healed that night or anything along those lines. But... What is the difference between a psychic in the middle of an Irish community saying someone's coming through by the name of O'Reilly or O'Malley, or I think it's one of those O names, and someone standing up on the platform of your church saying, God is telling me that, that there's someone out there right now who is experiencing complications from diabetes, well, guess what? There's <laughs> lots of people out there that are experiencing complications from diabetes. Mm -hmm. They do the same damn thing. They hook you with the generalities. And then once they've got you up on that platform, it's your turn to perform. It's your turn to validate what they do. And that's why in healing services, a lot of people will claim that they were healed or that whatever it was that they were up there for feels better, but they don't actually get better. And most of the time they don't feel better either. I think there are a lot of people that go along with psychics because it makes them feel good 
and because it fills a need in their life to be able to say that they've given themselves some semblance of closure with whatever happened between them and that person. So, um, like I said a minute ago, there are plenty of them that flat out don't believe that what they're hearing is true, but what they're hearing is comforting, and that's good enough. Kind of sad, but that's the way a lot of people think. But whether it's a crooked preacher or someone like John Edward, the goal is the same, to trick people into believing things using their emotions, their grief, their insecurities, and their propensity for believing in the supernatural as their weapons. Yes, they use people's grief against them, and that ability is big business. Whether it's a TV grifter like John Edward or Teresa Caputo, an idiot like Sylvia Brown who leads people to believe their loved ones are dead when they aren't, or a predatory armchair charlatan trolling obituaries, the emotional damage that these people do can be devastating. Now, my first thought about that is that if you expose them, if you show people just how untrustworthy they are, the whole thing will just unravel, right? Well, how's that working out? Ask anyone in Salem lining up at every storefront parlor and booking readings hours or even days out in October. Ask everyone who turned to psychics for hope and reconciliation with loved ones who died of COVID at the height of the pandemic. Psychic services saw a 30% surge in popularity and revenues between 2020 and 2021. All of this while even the most visible and successful ones get called out time and time again, skirt challenges to prove their authenticity, and respond with juvenile remarks about stage names of their detractors. So why do they get so many breaks? Well, again, ask any faith healer, ask any televangelist, ask any pastor. The bottom line is that belief is a powerful thing, and people cling to it in the face of every evidence that it's wrong or even dangerous. Evangelicalism doesn't work because they've discovered some big secret about people. They just understand people, how they think, how they respond to things, and how driven they are by their emotions and not their intellect. That's most people, and it was me for decades. It's the same with psychics. Psychic mediums also understand how people think, how they respond to things, and how predisposed most people are to thinking their emotions and not their intellect. The emotional need for closure over a missing or lost loved one is powerful, and psychics know precisely how to tap into those emotions to build trust. Once they have your trust, they can get you to agree to anything, even to the point of tricking you into giving them the information they need to get further into your head. Now, if you're an ex-evangelical, who has developed a fascination with things like divination and mediumship, I'm not surprised. You've been conditioned to think this way for years. That's why I think it's so important that you understand this. Psychics are not real. They don't possess abilities or powers that you do not. They've just figured out a few things about how people think and behave, and they've figured out how to exploit it. And as long as people keep giving them the opportunity and the money, the grift will continue. It will not lose traction in the wake of exposure. It will not go away no matter how many proofs can be demonstrated to expose their fraud. There will always be those who are willing to put aside logic in the name of comfort. And really, who can blame them? Especially in this world that we live in right now. The problem is that the answers are false. The closure is false. And the very things that provide those comforts are lies. And I'll say it again. Facing the truth isn't often easy, but it's necessary if we want to live lives that are rooted in reality. 
It takes courage to say goodbye to those we love. It takes courage to admit the finality of their deaths. For some, it's an impossible task. But for those willing to keep their feet grounded in reality, champion uncomfortable truths over comforting lies, and stay the course of seeking those truths wherever they lead, it might mean sacrificing things like closure over the loss of people we love and the false hope of their continued existences. But the reward comes in learning how to deal with loss on practical levels. A good therapist will get you way further than any psychic will in navigating the emotions related to grief. And while it may be hard to let go now, I promise you, with time, with work, and with the will to engage with your own emotions on productive levels and from the standpoint of a few very uncomfortable realities, sooner or later you will figure out that you don't need a psychic to keep you tethered to false hope. You can and should let go. It's just one more area of your life where you can take a few more crucial steps toward getting and staying unbound. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.